Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that for real? I'm I'm good. I'm good. But I mean, are you? Is this your debutante? Are you going full face? Uh, are we, we yeah. still going to yeah, fox yeah. you up? Okay. I don't. Um, I'm not working for anyone, so I'm just going to turn the volume up. I'm not working for anyone, so yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess Angus Fox, but my name is out there, and I'm happy to be. Like, I don't want two names. It feels a bit they-them. <laughs> this, this is the problem with internet branding. When, when, you, when you go from Anon to Person, uh, then the branding's broken because then we have Angus Fox and then, like, Tulip slash Richie. It's like, oh, like, Tulip Angus slash Richie, like Carl Benjamin, Sargon of Akkad, but I don't know that I'm going to be doing, I don't know if this is branding so much. It's just... <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm not working for anyone anymore and I'm not doing any paid work anymore to do with gender at all or to do with anything. Um, so it's kind of like less critical. Wait, did you like bet? Uh, is it, was there like a, a Deadpool on the queen's like time of death and, and you just like, you cashed out on that. You just knew the hour in the day. No, no, okay. I didn't, even watch, I didn't even watch the funeral. Um, which I guess I should have because it's like once in a lifetime. I don't know. I'll watch the coronation. I feel like I kind of, I think, have to watch the coronation. And there's a beautiful piece of music, which is part of the coronation, called Zadok the Priest. And it's a really beautiful piece of music and choral music. And like, you never hear it apart from a coronation. So it's kind of like Haley's Comet almost. Like, you kind of have to just go outside and look at it no matter what you think. So. Huh. But I didn't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God, God so save I thought, the king. God save the king. Um, I sent, for, for your audience's knowledge, I sent you a pretty weird email. Like, hi, do you want to chat? And the, I'm, happy, uh, I'm happy to talk about why, but also not if you don't want. And you were just like, yeah, okay. Stella O'Malley said that you had some salacious... Uh story to tell so i mean she's shot my fox stella yeah. romani has shot my fox she's stolen my thunder that's what you're telling me no she 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 uh she prepared the ground for you she john the baptist you she okay i don't know what that means because i'm less christian than you you need to explain what john the baptisting is he he like went out into the desert and started like shouting and throwing people into the river and saying that christ is going to come Oh, okay. It's difficult to imagine Stella throwing people into the river and saying Christ is going to come, but um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, well, so I wanted to talk to you about, uh, so the last time I was on your show, the last times I was on your show, I wasn't anonymous. And so it's a bit more me-centered than before, because other times I was talking about other people. And then why I don't care anymore about being anonymous. So you can kind of, they're quite different conversations and you can just 
have at it. Well, let's lay the groundwork because we met over and we spoke about your work um, investigating uh, parents of ROGD boys or trans identified mm -hmm. boys. And mm -hmm. you did a series of essays for Quillette. And then yes. you were a founding member, or you were in the very beginning of GenSpec? Uh, I wasn't in the very, very, very beginning. No, I wasn't a founding member. I was a kind of in after a couple of months member. Okay, but you were a consultant. Huh? I, was kind of, I was kind of the general manager, and I did a huge amount with web development imagery word smithery branding strategy that kind of thing so one of the things people don't know is i live 25 minutes from stella um i live in ireland and 25 um, minutes by horse or do you guys ride eagles around no by dragon don't be so patronizing okay. by car um and so that was a complete coincidence because we both happened to live in the same middle of nowhere. So that's how I kind of, and I just went to her house after I wrote the Quillette piece. And then she was like, oh, the Quillette piece is really, really good. And I was like, can I join Genspect? And she's like, no. And I just kept on asking. And then she said, yes. So, yeah. Could you give me yeah. one minute? I've, I forgot my coffee. It's just right outside. The door. Sure. I just want, I want to say. Sweetheart, why don't you go to bed? Go into your bed. Go on. No, no, no. Don't come to me. Go to your bed. Go away. Good girl. Go on. All the way. All the way, Lucra. Sorry. Hi. she down? As soon as I do anything, she's just like activates. It's like they're both. It's the, can you hear the claws on the floor? Not so much, no. Okay, that's all right. I can hear. I, they, I find them incredibly intrusive, but huh. hey. And, but not enough to get some oriental carpets? Throw them down on the floor? Uh, no, that's just too much effort. Yeah. That's too much effort. You just suffer. Um, yeah, just suffer. So what was I saying? So you and Stella hooked up, and you, you were knocking on the door of her heart over and over, just like Jesus. You're just knocking on the door, knocking on the door. Eventually, she lets you in. Yeah. I mean, it didn't actually take that long. Um, and that was kind of, mm, was it April or was it May? It was sometime around that. Genspec launched in June. Um, and I just kind of, I partly because we live close to one another and partly because we just, we get on so well. We're very, very good. We're very, very close friends. Um, so it kind of just fell into and so a lot of the discussions we would be having about where we see things going uh kind of walks around rural ireland together like little little lanes hmm. yeah that's why we would be discussing that and then um so it launched june the 18th and then i left of 2021 I, yeah that was 2021 and then i left at the end of june or the beginning of july of 2022 so i was in for a year basically yeah proud of that work oh yeah yeah what's the content of genspect just for anybody tuning in um so it's a campaign organization which wants a more rational approach to this gender issue a more moderate approach 
that wants to be founded on concepts like, you know, let's talk to one another as normal human beings rather than screeching that we're killing one another. Um, it believes that medicalization, so like taking a hormone, if you if you identify as trans, that taking hormones and having surgery is not something which should be available to at least 25. Um, and then beyond that, there's a kind of wide range of opinion in there because there are people in there who are trans and who are detrans. And I mean, the thrust of it was started with parents who kind of looking at their kids' decisions and thinking, yeah not certain about that mm. um, but then other people as well like so you've got the detrans people and trans people who are like oh i'm not sure about what's going on and then other campaigners who joined more recently like people who are concerned about over pharmacalization you know like the plastic surgery industry and how that plays into all of this genital surgery and profits and blah 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 and I'm really proud of it because it did that. It brought together different people, often people who have a very good reason to be skeptical of any organization because they've kind of been screwed over, frankly, by organizations. And I'm proud, this is a bit of a weird way to put it, but I'm proud of it tonally. I think we managed and in its without me it is continuing to look tonally where we want to be it looks positive it, it's no good looking like you're at the society, edge of society going oh my god the world is burning down even if you think that it, it doesn't work um so when i redesigned the website i just my in my head i was like if there was like an accountant from jakarta who spoke no english at all I would want them to look at this website and think this is the same centrist appeal as Stonewall, but just coming from the other direction, which they wouldn't even understand if they spoke no English. I wanted it to look centrist because I think we are, I think we're in the center. I think what Jen Spetch is arguing for is basically where the average person would be, which is, yeah, people who've transitioned need fundamental rights. It's not okay to mock them simply for having transitioned. Uh, but at the same time, some of the stuff that's going on this these hospitals is monstrous and needs to be stopped. So, and I think Genspect's been very successful for a number of reasons. And the one I can lay most claim to, I think, is the use of graphics and imagery to kind of make us look like we're not at the fringe of society saying the world is burning. We're actually kind of saying, hi, we're here, we're a resource we're pushing for a certain thing. Yeah. 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 And it's also a genuinely fabulous community of people because it is, paradoxically enough, it's incredibly diverse. It's international. It's gay people, straight people, parents, detransitioners, doctors. So, and people from the left and people from the right and people from the center and religious and irreligious. And that actually is incredibly useful when you're working if it can be managed, which it was in Jamesburg, because you can bounce ideas off people. You can say, okay, well, this sounds fine to me, but how's that going to fly with people whose primary newspaper source is the Washington Post or whose primary news source is Fox or whose primary whatever, do you know? So you can actually, when you've got viewpoint diversity, it's really quite useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. you undertook this work with knowledge of the risk for your own personal life, because entering into this um, with the uh, radical trans rights activists and their vendetta uh, toward anybody who wants to shed yeah. light or be critical um, yeah. or disagree with them. Um, yeah. We've seen a pattern of what's colloquially called cancel culture, but kind of turned up. But I don't care anymore. Okay. You don't care anymore? No. You're, you're a man with nothing to lose, the most dangerous type of man. <laughs> Is this the bit where somebody goes, do, 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 uh, Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I'm not that bothered about TRA. It's like, whatever. Uh, I was. I was. Yeah, definitely. And I was also concerned because at the time, like when I wrote what I wrote, I genuinely thought the pandemic was just going to kind of be a break for academia. Academia would go right back to the way it was. I thought at some point in the future I'd like to go back into university lecturing because I was I was really good at university lecturing. It's one of the uh... only things I'm good at. So I kind of thought that's going to be impossible if there are three they thems screeching at me, which is technically six people. That's a lot of people and it's going to be a nightmare and I'm not going to be able to get back in. Yeah. Um but again I don't really care now. So so now that you're showing some amount of your cards you mentioned university lecturing what yeah. what what's your babble thing what do you well, what was my field yeah well um linguistics and oh. then but the thing that i was so i lectured in linguistics but then i also taught very very advanced english the more advanced the better so there's a kind of in in europe there's there's this system where you 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 grade how good you are in fluency in languages. And I, I really liked the top, like getting you from the penultimate grade to the ultimate grade. And I was I was very good at that. Um so that was working with most of the people I was teaching would have been PhDs. And then I also did a lot of work with like some weird and wacky people, a lot of CEOs or diplomats or stuff like that, where I did very, very in-depth accent production. So I would start with a Russian who speaks like this, and after a year, presumably they were slightly less Russian-sounding. Um, yeah. So there were kind of all sorts of things where it was like, this could make life harder, you know? Yeah. So your voice coach, kind of, in certain respects. Yeah, more kind of, but not exactly, not like somebody could do with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, I probably could. I've got the knowledge uh, to do that kind of thing. Somebody actually did make a joke that, like, because we were talking about somebody who's also a linguist, we were talking about some in-depth matter, and they were like, you do know that you could provide voice classes to female to male trans people because there's a big challenge in passing as male. Yeah. Yeah, which, so I probably could with, if I brushed up a bit, yeah. Hmm. And why linguistics? How did you get into that? Were you just like sitting around on a dock and, and somebody threw a, a volume of Noam Chomsky at your head and, and it fell in your lap and you just... I can't believe you said Noam Chomsky. Um, <laughs> no, I was always in love with it. I was just in love with it. In love with it. 
um, I did the first year I did Spanish and linguistics and I was like, why am I learning Spanish? I'm, I'm completely bored. I don't, I'm not interested in learning a language. I tend to learn a language for a year and then just move on. I'm interested in language. Huh. Um, but I mean, you've got to be interested to do it because it's not a good degree in terms of earning potential unless you are one of the lucky ones if you consider it luck that you go and work for google or something then Mm. you know it's not yeah Mm -hmm. it's very interesting but it's not like a winning it's it's not a stem subject okay what what are some of the main like theories that you based your work on or were you just kind of a jack of all trades because i know there's a lot of different semantic and well i was teaching i was teaching introductory so it was Jack of all, was what I was teaching. Okay. And then I have, I've still got a thesis, which I need, well, I've still got a 60 page document, which I need to work out whether that's a thesis, um, which has been going on for an embarrassment of time. Yeah. yeah. A Queen's, a Queen's age. A Queen's age. Yeah. Maybe not quite that long, but nearly. Um, but what I was teaching, yeah, what I was teaching was quite generalist. And what's your thesis on, or uh, the domain? I'm just really interested in it. Like, uh, semantics, it's just incredibly nerdy. It's nothing oh, to do. Come with... on, I just spent like an hour talking about fallopian tubes yesterday. Okay, so it's on the consonant sounds of Proto-Indo-European, <laughs> and the glaze falls down. No, no. Like, what's one word that that you tra- do? You trace like one word, and and how? Well, it- you trace. Okay, so lots of people have done lots of work for many, many decades of um, tracing lots of words. So saying, okay, well, what what do we think the word for night was? What do we think the word for moon was? What do we think the word for king was? Blah blah blah. Um, and we've got loads of answers. The problem is the answers all fit into a system which doesn't make sense. Um, and this is a problem that was first observed, oh, I forget, it's like 100 years ago or something, that the sound system we reconstruct for Proto-Indo-European makes sense in terms of, okay, so here's the English word, here's the Irish word, here's the Russian word, da-da-da-da-da. But it doesn't make sense because that sound system doesn't occur anywhere in the entire world out of the world's 6,000 languages, arguably, and there are people who disagree with that. And so... It's one of those things, like, you know how in mathematics there'll be some problem that somebody discovered in the 15th century and, like, 3,000 people have tried to solve it. It's like a cliché, I must be the 500th person to throw my brain at this. So, in layman's terms, the language that was constructed by studying the confluence of all these various words, once you get to the root, this Mm proto-Indo-European, it doesn't make sense in and of itself. it would just be it would just be very very unusual and it's very very difficult for, for biological reasons it's very very difficult to argue that that could be a stable language i.e a language that lasted many generations it could could have been a very brief phase but that kind of also doesn't make sense because we know that the each group that left and became its own daughter society they didn't all just like have a fight and then like one november say screw this that happened over many many Yes, so how it doesn't really make sense for it to be an unstable temporary one or two generation system that covers such a large number of languages. Yeah. So then 
some Russians and some Americans. There was kind of like a mini space race, which, sorry, the Russians won in 1972. They were the first people to try and solve this. And then some Americans said the exact same thing in 1973. And then the whole stack of people have weighed in. And nobody's like tied the knot, the string theory of proto-Indo-European. No, and I'm not sure I'll be able to, um, because it's uh, the, the problem I've got is I've got a good literature review and I've got a great hunch and I've yeah. not really got anything in the way of proof. Okay. So I need to establish what my proof, where I would, where I would find my proof. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Because, and this isn't just a nerdy thing because this is anthropological. This is historical. This kind of shows oh, yeah. the root of culture. It's not that controversial anymore to argue that possibly Indo-European languages and the Proto-Indo-European could have been related to Uralic, which is like Finnish, Hungarian, and so forth. That's becoming less controversial. And yeah, the thesis I'm arguing would probably play into that and would suggest like, yeah, maybe there is a link there. And uh, I read at one point that uh, it was probably facilitated by a technology of sorts being like horses, like these people who rode horses were able to. Well, that was the spread of the Proto-Indo-Europeans over such, over the steppe, over such a large, like Ukraine, Russia, that that whole area. Yeah. And their success as an, as a displacing force, because of course they displaced Europe had people in it, right? Like the Basque, for example, and they would have, kind of pushed up into the mountains or whatnot. Oh, crap. We get colonized. Over and over again, yeah. yeah. That's why the whole colonization thing sounds so weird from when it comes from an American perspective, because if you're if you're like a, a paleolinguist or a historical linguist and you're like, literally everyone colonized the last person, you know, it's like, bam, yeah. bam, bam. Yeah. <laughs> Each one, you know. There's no zero uh, indigenous population. Well, you could argue there was one, yeah, the first people there, whoever they were. But, I mean, even there, do we know? Because were they not just clubbed to death so that the next lot stole their goats? And... Yeah. Wow. Okay, 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 here we go. So, with regard to the gender ideology, right, this this colonizing force that's kind of clubbing people over the heads and sweeping through, there's something infectious. I keep on returning to this this month or this season about why is gender of all the concepts so infectious? It could have been anything, but gender just captures the uh, the imagination, and maybe it captures the imagination specifically of uh, white, affluent, uh, waspy um, kind of... Mm-hmm. white people at this point and there's we, we can there's a lot of different theories around that and uh about you know the oppression olympics how do you how do you gain cred as a kid if you're just normal while you queer yourself and you know there's, there's yeah. those different forces and then feminism and men's rights and the battle of the sexes has kind of just gotten to this messy place where we don't have a stable form of masculinity to give to the sons or a stable form of femininity to celebrate um, with our daughters. And so there's a lot of displacement, but there's also a positive thing about gender. I think that, is mythological or, or symbolic or archetypal that, that is kind of like feeding and pulsing at the heart of this. That's just kind of a theory. 
Oh, yeah. I think that the, uh, it's a big problem when people do this stupid... It really is. I'm sorry. It is stupid. Like, um, There's no such thing as trans. If we just stop saying it, it'll all go away. What are you talking about? Like, these things are inherently very, very interesting anyway, what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman beyond... I'm not entirely determined as a man by my biology. There's other stuff going on. It's culturally sensitive. It would be different for me if I were Japanese. And a feeling of uh, being a stranger in your own sex, you can call it gender dysphoria, or you can call it, I mean, sometimes it's more like a dysmorphic thing or even a bodily integrity disorder thing or whatever. That's real. That's real. I, I had that. And I had literally never heard the word trans. Like the idea that that only, that that's only happening because of the woke teachers on lives of TikTok. I'm sorry, this is deranged. So it is interesting. Yeah. And it's really counterproductive to do this kind of like, if we just stop saying gender and we just stop saying trans, this will all go away. Because the kids doing this, it's meaningful to them. Mm. It's really meaningful to them. Sometimes for bad reasons, which is that they've gone from having no friends to a bunch of friends and therefore they're wrongly associating it with being popular and mm. actually they're not your friends if it's conditional on you being trans. But sometimes for very normal reasons, like, you know, when you're 18, you are kind of obsessed with who you are. Yeah, You kind of are. And that, at the minute, what's scary is it's going into two things, the, the, the pharmaceutical, surgical stuff. But then I would also argue the anti-family, anti-parent, and in particular, anti-mother stuff. Because that is breaking people, mm -hmm. people I know, people I love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that anti-family aspect to it is incredibly politically, um, incredibly political. Um, if you can destabilize the bonds and the structures of family, you have a bunch of atomized people that are incredibly easy to control or at least weak to resist yeah, yeah. a unified yeah, and, one. And very um, isolated and then often also dependent on the state in some way, whether it's payment of rent, whether it's paying for an operation or for certain... Hormones. Or just affirmation, right? Yeah. Just some yeah. sort of spiritual guidance or emotional meaning. And I wrote about a lot of families... And it's interesting because here we are and we're September and a lot of those families in the last month, two months, literally just the last period have all experienced, not, I, I can't say all, a lot of them have experienced the same thing, which is betrayal. That a lot of these boys spent six months kind of just stringing them along and being like, oh, you're right. It's kind of a bit regressive because like women shouldn't just be in the kitchen. And the mothers were like, oh, finally. And then they get to 18 and leave a note saying, I mean, some pretty awful stuff, some pretty awful stuff. And there's, there's, I mean, in different ways, like five people, I would say in the last two months that I know really quite well, who've experienced some iteration of the same thing, which is the kid just doing something, which is paradoxically pretty alpha male, kind of beta version of alpha male, but like hmm. pretty ballsy move and it's not nice. 
Well, you mean, um, let's just qualify Alpha Malik, uh, very extreme, very uh, severing, very... Yeah, and very much like, this is what I want to do, and I'm not interested in anyone else. Yeah. I am making that I am the captain. This is what will happen in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. You know, yeah. nasty, I would say, nasty. Yeah. Well, why do you think that uh, that pattern has occurred uh, in concert? I think it's partly September syndrome. I think some of them, a lot of them were the same cohort, the the boys whose mothers I talked to. So they were all hit 18 at the same, no, not a lot, but some of them have hit 18 at the same point. I also think September in general, for a lot of people, even if it's not your first, even if you're not at school or you're not at college, there's still a sense of like, you know, what am I doing? What's What do the next few months hold? And yeah. so... And we know that with a lot of these young people who very are very fixated on medicalization and very convinced that their parents are bigots for not wanting that, that there is this kind of cycle, the, the sort of action, euphoria, dysphoria, inaction, action, euphoria, dysphoria, inaction cycle, hmm. which I think Sinead has spoken about quite eloquently. And I think Michelle, um, some nuance, please, has spoken about really nicely as well that the you know you get into these loops of behavior yeah. hmm. Hmm. and they can sync up seasonally yeah yeah um and i also think paintings in america are just so polarized that it's 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 very difficult i think for young people to fashion any space in the center ground i think it's it's almost impossible now that you know yeah Yeah. bit bleak sorry yeah no it is um and uh yeah the the narrowing choice even if you're not a radical you have to be because you have to be completely on board with something or you're a bigot so basically it's not all bad news there's one mom i wrote about her son just just stop talking about it. And after a year of like, oh God, do I say it? And she finally did it. And she was like, so uh, you know, how's, how's things like with the gender? And he was just like, cringe, don't even talk to me about it. Just So, you know, yeah. there are kids who come through and they're, and they're like, and he's, so at the minute he's embarrassed and it's cringe. But then you think in five years time, he might look back and be like, well, hmm. whatever, you know? And he's still got his, he's still intact. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah so you left genspect yes so i left all because i did i was doing a bit of work for just a small bit of work for getter gender exploratory therapy association and i was doing small bits of work for wider lens as well and i stopped okay. everything uh may i ask why burnout your reset no september syndrome so this kind of risks escalating quite quickly. <laughs> um, I don't have a huge amount of time left to live. I'm sick. I'm really sick. Hmm. Um, I thought I was sick, like, you know, in a kind of, oh, God, I'm going to have to take pills way. And then a series of things have happened and... 
it's very difficult to say i've got extremely good care and they won't they correctly won't give you numbers or the, the, so the numbers they give you you have to kind of read between the lines but 85 percent of people who have my situation don't live 10 years um <clears throat> now my consultant is very good one of my two excellent consultants would kick my ass and say you're not 85 percent of people and i'm a lot younger than so i have stage three uh, bowel cancer and i'm a lot younger than most people who have stage three bowel cancer so you could look at that 85 percent and say who cares that's not me um because, for example, some of those people might be 93-year-olds who uh, are offered chemotherapy and say, no, I'm 93, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the problem is, I have two big problems. The, the first problem is that, um, so I had a tumour and it was it got so big, it was the size of a Granny Smith apple, and it burst through my gut wall. And what they usually do when they take out a tumour is they, they take out the tumour and then they take out all of the bitchy friends around the tumour that look a bit sus. So they take out just kind of a, a... They resect an area of skin, even if it looks fine as far as I understand it, and, and flesh and whatever around it. And they couldn't do that to me because when it went through my gut wall, it splintered into microscopic particles and embedded itself in the side of my body. So what that means is the only thing you can do, you can take it out and you can take out as much as you can see. Um, but you can't take out the side of my body. I need it. Otherwise everything will fall out. Hmm. And um, so what you do is you do radiotherapy and chemotherapy and, and you wait. And there will never be a day when any, anyone ever says you're better. It will just be each scan by scan by scan. So the first complexity is that when it perfed, which means when it went through my gut wall, it splintered and went into a place where it can't be taken out. So I have very well-meaning people saying, oh, my dad had cancer, but they got it all. It was massive, but they got it all. You'll be fine. And I don't have the heart to say, yeah, they can't get it all. They can't even see it. All they can do is surmise that, the chance that I don't have cancer right now, it's technically possible, but it's negligible. So that's the first problem I have. And then the second problem I have is it turns out that there's a small group of people where if you give us chemotherapy, we have a heart attack. So I had a heart attack. I had round one of chemotherapy and then I had a full STEMI, which is like kind of like a three course dinner of heart attacks. Mm. Um, so it's not clear I can have chemotherapy. So I have radiotherapy and then I'm going to have okay. a consultation about whether I can have chemotherapy and there are all sorts of numbers. But I said to my, my other consultant, who's also excellent, like my understanding is there are three kind of outcomes here. One is I'm screwed soon. One is I'm screwed in a while which is kind of like what does that mean it could mean 10 years and one of them is that i'm not screwed because who knows mm. um mm. but yeah so i've spent a lot of time in hospital and a lot of time in bed 
I'm halfway through the recovery period for my heart attack, which is basically make a list of everything fun. You're not allowed to do it. Um, can't drive, can't eat any nice food, can't drink, can't orgasm, hmm. nothing. So I have to do another two weeks of that. And uh, the whole thing has caused me to, to, well, firstly, to give up work because I literally cannot be stressed. Um, and... The kind of work I was doing, it's, it's not exactly viable when you're dealing with people who are quite in, in a lot of pain to say, I'm sorry, I'm feeling slightly stressed. I'm going to leave. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. It's not really on. Um, and it's also caused me to reconsider just how I spend my time and how I live. Uh, technical question? Yeah. Chemo is uh, like intravenous and radio is that like laser ray or like yes. whatever. Chemo they put in. Are you squeamish? No, I'm just getting emotional and being technical. To... Chemo they put in through, okay. I don't know if you can see that. They, they put this RoboCop thing under your skin, oh. and which I now don't need because I don't, well, I may or may not need. And then they put it in there to stop having to cannulate you. Yeah, okay. Do you want to hear something really? Like... <laughs> sure. So... <laughs> Can't be creepier than a fallopian tube. Uh, all due respect, mother of God, you know. But... So um, so I had a heart attack. The heart attack lasted five and a half hours. What the... F That's quite normal. You see, this is really important that people see okay. this. Yeah. Heart attacks are not like, you know, on TV, it's like a guy and he goes hur, hur, and falls. In. That's not yeah. a heart attack. That's very rarely a heart attack. Okay. Most heart attacks are very difficult to distinguish from panic attacks. Now, my partner is a paramedic and paramedics are given lists of like features of certain conditions or events. So like, what does an epileptic fit look like? And it would have a list. One of the, I don't know why I find this funny, but because it's so true, one of the actual technical diagnostics for a heart attack is an impending sense of doom. That's mm. a quote. And that is exactly what it feels like. Mm. Um, and I had that for five hours. Then I had a stent, which is like a little kind of sprung device, which they put into the right part. And then it goes and holds your artery open. So the artery that that failed is called the Widowmaker, somewhat sadistically. So, uh, and they put what they do, they're awake, you're, you're awake, you're sedated, but you're awake. And they have to put the stent in the right part of your heart and they put it in your body here and they push it as you're awake to your heart. And then they go, yeah, yeah. And they can't really, they can do certain things to sedate you when you're having a heart attack, but they can't, they have to be very careful. So they basically have to try and keep you calm and tell you you're having a heart attack at the same time. And I had the best, I had this doctor called Pat. Pat, I've forgotten your surname, but he's from Cork. And he was just perfect. He was just perfect. The second, so I had a number of episodes of tachycardia, which is where your heart rate's just kind of going like 70 beats per minute, and then it goes to 190. 
like that, like immediately. And um, that's terrifying. And uh, the third time it happened, he came in. Sorry. Uh, the third time it happened, he came in and he said, I'm starting to dislike you. And it's like, it's. Just, and I said, yeah, I don't think much of you, to be honest. And it's having somebody who's mm. able to calm you down is yeah. life-saving. Um, and I'm telling everyone I meet, like, if you ever have anything which is on the borderline and you're thinking, this is a panic attack, but I, I don't know, maybe it's got a hospital. Go to hospital. I nearly didn't go to hospital. Go to hospital. If you think you're having a panic attack slash heart attack, treat it as a heart attack. I wouldn't be the kind of person who would be a hypochondriac, but with that, don't mess around. Because mm. I genuinely was in the ambulance feeling really embarrassed. Like, I think this isn't a panic attack. I think I'd know I'd be dead by now. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And no, yeah. well, it was a. What uh, caused you to decide to get into the ambulance? Were you talked to about it or you just... Yeah, I called a friend as soon as it started happening. I called a friend and talked talked about it with her. Mm -hmm. So you have conversations. It's weird. You have conversations during your heart attack. It's really strange because you think of a heart attack as being like a sneeze, like it's a (laughs) punctual event. It's not. It's durative. It lasts ages. Yeah. 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 And And so... particularly true of women it's particularly true that female heart attacks don't get spotted because people are expecting <laughs> and what they get is something that is described as a panic attack and the woman is told you know you're very panicky try and calm down and what what was your mind doing uh during that five hour impending doom anxiety it's very strange i, I couldn't sit still i had to get up I had to keep getting up for no reason at all, really. And I was kind of shouting at people quite a bit, sedate me when I was in the hospital. They, they were just, they were very good. They just ignored me because you can't, you can't sedate somebody where you don't know what's going on. You just know they're presenting very strangely, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, uh, and then they put me on morphine and then I had the stent. And how did you entertain yourself while watching, feeling this snaky thing weasel its way Frodo style into your heart? Oh, I was, I was just, I, I was out and I was groggy and I was on morphine and I'm, okay. to be honest, I'm not the nicest person on morphine. Oh, really? You don't get like uh, yeah, I was, I was poetic and I was very rude to a nurse. Oh no. During the abdominal <laughs> surgery. Because I was just come, I just come round and I just said probably quite loudly, "You're the first woman who's touched my cock since my mum." <laughs> and she was just mortified. <laughs> and then, and then so was I. The next day, it just, yeah. <laughs> Morphine's very strange. A lot of people seem to love it, and I. Mm. So if I have to have another surgery, which I probably will, I'm, I'm. I mean, you can't dictate your drugs, but I'd like a conversation with them about alternatives to morphine. I really, it really tripped me out. It was really unpleasant. Like uh, emotionally, uh, visually, like what do you mean tripped out? Visually, but also just not knowing where I was, feeling really frightened. Um, 
I, I kind of convinced myself that if I stopped breathing in threes, the world would end, which is the kind of thing you do on morphine. And then as soon as I had that thought, I tensed. And because I just had major abdominal surgery, then I was in a lot of pain because yeah. they cut they cut down. So they sever all your muscles. So it's very painful. Um, and that was like for three hours, I was just kind of lying there trying to count three, thinking the world will end if I don't get, you know. And it's, so I'm hoping if I have to have surgery again, they can find me something which doesn't have that extreme effect, which I've heard it has on other people. It's a bloody strong drug. You know, paradoxically, um, I, I'm not speaking from personal experience, but I can imagine that uh, being confronted with a terminal illness is kind of like a rebirth in a way. It's like, okay. Reset. My life has two halves, not equal halves, yeah. but it's like before and after. Yeah. There's some things I just don't care about at all yeah. now, at all. Like I was never particularly driven by money. I'm like my dad, as long as I've got enough, as long as it's not, you know. Um, whereas now I just I just don't remotely care at all about money. As long, you know, as long as I don't run out, which I, I won't. Um, I don't care about making money. Yeah. I care. I care a lot more about my seeing my family. Um, my sister lives in New Zealand, so that's a long way to come, and it's very expensive. Um, so that's so I'm seeing her, which is nice, and um, yeah, everything really. Everything. Because I'm going to give myself a fighting chance. So I've cleaned up a lot of my lifestyle and so on and so forth. I'm not going to fold, but I'm also not going to be a Californian about this and tell myself that if I love myself, everything will be fine because that's not really how life works. So in that context, you start thinking... What do I want to do? Who do I want to talk to? And I haven't got answers to all of those questions yet, because this is all very recent. June or July? Yeah, June, June, really, July. So my surgery was mid-July. And then the heart attack was two weeks and two days ago. What are you thinking? (laughs) I don't know what to think. What do you think about life? Uh, Do you um, do you start thinking in absolute terms, like beginning and end? And I'm thinking more about meaning, and I'm thinking more about like how much does it actually matter if there is an entity puppeteering us and providing meaning or we're providing meaning for ourselves. Is it that critical a distinction? Because surely the more important thing is, is there meaning? Hmm. I was in hospital with a guy. I don't want to say too much because I wouldn't want to, you know, um, and he was just, I felt like, I felt like punching him in the face. He was so, my life is over. 
I'm just going to stay here and die. And I honestly, by the end of the four days, I was kind of, and this, he would, he would bring the nurses over to tell them how everything was so awful that could he just, could they just roll him out of the window in a wheelchair? And I just, on the last day, I almost felt like going over to him and saying, do you want me to kill you? Like, because you obviously, you know, you've got to have more in your life than this and yeah. you've got to have meaning. And I'm, I was very sorry for him because he was going through something very painful and quite humiliating bodily. But so was I. Hmm. And he was about twice my age. So I was thinking, you've not that much to complain about. Like, I'm sorry it's happened to you. This is really bad. So I kind of made a decision. Like, I can't be like that. I can't be like that. I can't be sitting in a bed crying. Jesus. Yeah. 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 Well, what's meaning? What do you mean by meaning? Well, what what would be what would be a good way to spend time? Like a, a meaningful way to spend time to myself, meaningful to myself, and meaningful to other people. So, going beyond just what do I want to do? Although there's a big overlap, right? between what you want to do and what would provide meaning in your life. But so I kind of, when I, when I got sick, I was like, right, I just have to stop thinking about work. I can't think about work. I can't think about gender. I have to focus on myself. It's not appropriate for me to be talking about my own healthcare problems in front of people who have their own healthcare issues. Da, da, da. And and now I don't really know. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I'm not going to go back into working in such a way that that I was working. I, I, I need to, doctor's orders, be doing something which is zero stress, which kind of means on my own schedule entirely, right? So that could be writing. I don't know. Um, I think that the stuff I did around gender was one of the best things I've done in, I've done in my life and that's quite small what I did it was only a couple of years you know the last couple of years but I think I helped a lot of people so I think it would be very foolish to kind of bury that um Well, what, speaking of that, what's the essence of uh, your contribution? What's the wisdom that you've distilled well, from I don't that? feel like I ever said everything I want to say. Partly because of anonymity. Um... I mean, certainly the, the technical stuff we've already spoken about, like, you know, like design and, and da, 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 da. I think that I understand, I have, mm, I have some kind of understanding of some of these boys, because there's quite, I can see a lot of those traits. And, and, and I think that's been useful to some of the parents that, that to, to be able to speak to somebody who's kind of out the other end of it, but had a similar adolescent experience. Um, often, by the way, it might, it might make me less sympathetic to them. It's not that I'm automatically more sympathetic to the boys. It might make me less, right? It kind of depends on what they're up to. Okay. Yeah. 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 
they have this debilitating condition and you've been there and they're like wheel me out of the window wheel me out of the window and you're like yeah 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 yeah. there are things there are things that there are just a couple of things where some of the mothers i know said well he said this to me and i'm kind of thinking yeah 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 of course he did yeah yeah i know Mm -hmm. what that is you know like i know what that behavior pattern is that's a that's a kind of game that you're sort of playing in some way but then sometimes i would be more sympathetic um you said something very interesting like all of the male detransitioners you spoke to there was this running theme of like not exactly not masculine enough but too gentle like too gentle to be a gentleman almost like there's that that concept has been lost and i definitely think there's some truth in that um the problem is it gets horribly muddied up as soon as you introduce fetishistic AGP type behavior. It's it's very difficult to defend that, you know? And mm. so you might have boys who have got both. They might be quite fetishistic in, in an AGP way. And they also might be people who struggle with thinking I'm not masculine enough. It's it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking over here, you've got the timid, quivering homosexual transsexuals. And over here, you've got the kind of baseball bat wielding AGPs. And I don't, I think it's, it's a, those groups exist, but I think there's also some strays in the middle. I was contacted uh, yesterday, I think by a, uh, I guess, they're a non, but they're openly AGP and, and uh, sissy porn and stuff like that. And uh, very, very intelligent, which is yeah. uh, par for the course. Yeah. And uh, they just wrote me like kind of a miniature screed about the trauma response of uh, AGP is a sexualized trauma response and autogynophilia or uh, fantasizing about being a woman or being turned into a woman as a trauma response, having usually owing to... Um, something to do with the mother um, being abused by the mother in some way. And then uh, kind of owning that or inverting that in a way um, through pornography or sexuality. I I would want a lot more information about the word abused in in that thesis. Well, this person saying to you, it's a trauma response in relation to being abused by the mother and that, yeah, what are we talking about? Are we talking about abused as in like repeatedly beaten? Are we talking about abused as in she that one time in the park she didn't do the thing? And oh yeah, do you know what I mean? Because I I I think I think you've got to be very very careful about using the word abuse in the context of your parents or anyone's parents. I, I quite like that word to be narrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a whole analogous thing about the word grooming, which I know you've you've weighed in on. Like, how do we want narrow or do we want broad? Because there are arguments in favour of keeping that word narrow and saying use some other word, um, and there are arguments against. Well, every aspect of um, uh, political language is uh, has a layer of uh, embedded in the meaning of any political term is power um so it's no longer about truth or about definition it's about power and whoever can control the definition of groomer or racist or uh, fetish or you know abuse uh gets to um manipulate and obfuscate 
uh, the truth in order to get their way. But things don't have to be like that because you can have, let's say, okay, so let's say you're a massive monarchist and let's say I'm a massive anti-monarchist Republican. Okay, so Republican. We can have a conversation where I call you a monarchist and you call me a Republican. Those aren't insults. They're, 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 la- they're descriptors of a landmark, a, a, a landscape. It's like, this is a hill, this is a hill. We're both using the same language. Um, you could argue that the same about pro-choice and pro-life, that it's like they're positively framed. So you're offering, so I'm offering you if you're pro-life, I'm offering you. Well, at least I'm, I'm granting that you're pro-something. Mm. With everything that's gone on with gender stuff and everything that's gone on with this so-called like populism since 2015, we don't have words which are actually neutral delineators. Nobody says I'm a populist. Nobody says I'm a transphobe. Nobody says I'm a member of the metropolitan elite. Nobody says I'm politically Mm. correct. These are insults or they're boasts. So how are we going to do anything if we can't even, whereas you and I could have a discussion about the merits of a constitutional monarchy or the the demerits of a constitutional monarchy. We're speaking the same dialect. We're not even speaking the same dialect anymore. It's like, you know, if one group is saying trans, and I'm not offering a view on what words people should use. I'm not trying to tell people what words to use. I think that's enough of that. I'm just pointing out that if like, there's one group who say, trans girl to mean a girl who thinks she's a boy and another group who say trans girl to mean a boy who thinks he's a girl like how are we even how are we even supposed to have a conversation okay uh linguist going back to linguist whenever a society enters into a phase of radical politicization of language like uh that's kind of happened or maybe that's a particularly democratic uh phase um or uh something to do with modernism, liberalism, the the frameworks that we're using. Um, I just wonder historically what it is. I wouldn't necessarily be the right person to ask about that aspect of historical linguistics. I mean, I suppose the obvious go-to example would be the, the foundation of the Soviet Union. It would be the, the largest body of word and acronym creation stuff that went on. And um, we can certainly, I think advance a fairly solid argument that that didn't end well uh beyond that i don't know i don't know if that i don't know if there's anyone doing that kind of research because it's kind of like fact checkers like as soon as you say you're doing it everyone's like biased shut up well (laughs) which isn't necessarily untrue i'm i am thinking of the protestant reformation and the pamphlet wars um, okay. The invention of the printing press and uh, Martin Luther wresting control of theology out of the hands of the Catholic Church, and then that spiraling into a bunch of denominations. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know how much that entailed in, in the sense of word creation or semantic shift of existing words. I mean, I know that was that was huge in terms of access access to the written word and literacy and all of the rest of it. I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you um, what, whether, what went on. Um, I mean, there was something I learned about, God, this is going back at university, called the Inkhorn Conspiracy. Hmm. Which was in the <laughs> century, um, 16th. And if my memory serves me correctly, the Inkhorn Conspiracy was basically a bunch of 
well-to-do hoity-toity English people didn't really like the lower orders using their language because of course historically in England the upper classes would have used Norman French and and then that ended and everyone was speaking the same language so a lot of there was there was a period of quite intensive importing of words from Greek and Italian which were deliberate and the French which were deliberately kind of you know like difficult to say and shibboleths basically to kind of mark you out as a member of the ruling class and we still use a lot of those words i can't remember but there's a load of them there's loads of them yeah the um oh i I don't know who i was listening to but they uh maybe it was a yarvin essay um about how latin was used as a barrier of entry to the elite class to the the elite schools and now it's like these woke diversity statements are doing the same thing you you adopt this language and it shows that you're a part of the elite there's there's a big there's a i think there's quite a clear line to be drawn between the income and conspiracy and what's going on now because frankly if you just kind of stepped off the bus or whatever and you're not really that informed and somebody says well hold on a minute um, you haven't used an X at the end of that word. What does that mean for non-binary people? And you're like, okay, what? Why would I want an X? How would I even say that? You're going to have to remind me what non-binary is. Then you're out. You're out. Um, so yeah, there's a kind of gatekeeping um, going on, and the, it's worth bearing in mind that so the Norman Conquest was 1066, the year 1066. It is still the case to this day that if you have a Norman surname, you are, I think, 20% more likely to go to university. So that's how long it takes to get rid of when you introduce these kinds of... Now, obviously, that's a slightly different example because we're not introducing a a ruling class, but... Well... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other problem with um, the transgender aspect of wokeness is that it can't reproduce itself, so it has to be constantly evangelizing, right? It, there, I think it was the Quakers in America, they were so purist with regard to, um, they were so open to everybody else's culture and so purist with regard to sex that they bred themselves out of existence. And you, you can't reproduce you literally cannot reproduce with this ideology um, in terms of physical reproduction. And then the family unit can't, is not stable enough. We'll see, I guess with all of these uh, trans parents, trans and kids and stuff, we'll see if that can uh, resolve into a stable family formation. Something tells me they're not necessarily going to be the most stable family units that the planet has ever seen. Just a hunch. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you can say the same about homosexuality, but of course it, it doesn't matter because it's like, it, it happens anyway. This is the whole point gay people are making. It's like, we're not defending homosexuality. I'm not going to defend homosexuality any more than I defend nitrogen. It doesn't matter whether I like it to exist or not. It's there. Whereas with transition, you are making a choice. Now, there's an argument you don't choose your gender identity. I think it's wrong. I think you do choose a gender identity. But I... Well, part of the appeal of a gender identity is that you're willing it into existence. You're willing it into existence. You're curating it. And of course, it's so bespoke now, like my gender identity is whatever. The Linnaean system of pan-romantic, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so fine-grained. 
So, yeah. And, and so then you just get straight to the grooming argument, which is that these people are, that this is, that you need to have grooming in the in the broad sense of, so schools pushing it, and in the narrow sense of sexual grooming in order for it to perpetuate. Yeah. Oh, there. Yeah. There she is. Groom me. He, he's an absolute... Um, He's not really like a cat. He's more like a dog. He's just so soft. You can just do whatever to him. Hmm. Yeah. 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 We're going to get a new cat soon. We've one selected. Yeah. Looking forward to it. One of our cats just walked off into the forest one morning. Never came back. Oh, between my cancer and my heart attack, one of my cats walked off under somebody else's tire. I'm so sorry thing i know yeah on the other hand she was a rescue cat she was found in the middle of the road so she got she got 18 months do you know what i mean she got an extra 18 months of life out of me so i'm not going to feel too bad about it God. <laughs> yeah i'm not having the best year yeah you know you got some blows that you're absorbing right now um forgive me for going here i'm just curious um and I don't mean to be flippant at all, but, um, you know, facing death and the way I just to be completely blunt facing death, mm-hmm. I guess you already mentioned it. You don't know if it's necessary for there to be a entity that's dispensing with meaning and stuff, but have you, um, have you con- considered or has the, your relationship to the infinite or to being, um, come to bear for you? Or is it more about just finding the human meaning with your friends and family and work? Um, my, my relationship with being, yeah, definitely. My relationship with the infinite, mm, yeah, I'm not sure I'm, I can claim to have invested a huge amount of time in thinking about that. Um, but my relationship with being, yes. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I kind of, and show my face and so forth, is to... to talk about truth and the importance of truth. Because like, um, there might be other people watching this who are, I don't know, they might be in my situation or they might be in a similar situation, which is bad. I mean, I know somebody who's just lost the use of her arm, which is devastating. It's devastating. She's not facing my situation, but it's, it's like, God, you wouldn't. You know, it's a lot to go through. So maybe just by talking truthfully about stuff normally and truthfully, that can help. Um, It's interesting that some people fall apart. Some people avoid you. You tell them what's happening and they just, they don't know. And it doesn't come from a bad, they're not, they're not betraying you. They just have no idea what to do. They have no idea what to do. And so you just have to kind of forgive that and say, yeah. You know, kind of feel for you. Um, I want to say things about, uh, say things that I, I, it's not that I couldn't say, it's say things that I didn't say because I believe them to be true, because I think that that will probably help people. You know? Such as what? 
with the boys. So I met these boys' parents and they kind of gave me their their perspective. They felt very much as though they couldn't speak. And so I saw it as kind of my job to articulate their arguments. I've come to the view that this whole thing is much more sexual for the boys. I'm not saying it's not for the girls. I'm saying I don't know. Don't know. I'm, I know a lot less. Um, it's much more sexual and it's and the grooming is way more important than we give it credit. Way more important. I... One of the reasons I chose to be anonymous, partly it's because I, you know, did want to go back into academia, but that was only part of it. I spent somewhere between 15 and 20 years as an online paedophile hunter. And that's another thing I wouldn't have said if I hadn't got this, this health situation now. And the reason I mention it is because the they're the same guys. They're the same guys now. What they're doing is they're just doing it in, open, in the open and saying gender. They are the same guys. Um, so you're like double O pedo hunter or am I, am I uh child sex? What's the department that you're working? Was this just like a vigilanteism? This is fascinating. Um, well, no, because that implies leaving the house. I never left the house. Vigilantism implies breaking the law and leaving the house. And no, I was, I was, I was very psychologically disturbed when I was very young and I was groomed. Um, and then the way I responded to that, which I, I don't know how unusual this is, but it, it kind of makes sense in hindsight is having been groomed is I then starting about the age of 16 started going after groomers because you're angry, right? You're angry with yourself if you get yourself groomed. And so then you lash out. Um, and it was very, it was, no, it wasn't, it, it was entirely solitary and it was entirely based at the computer, but it was, it changed over the years. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, it, it was pretty vindictive, what I was doing. I wasn't nice. And I never thought I would tell anyone about this. But then when I saw the gender stuff, it's, it's this, they're the same guys. They are the same men. Okay, so speaking technically, uh, well, mm -hmm. not technically, but uh, procedurally, uh -huh. what do you do? You identify um, the behavior... And then you do things about that behavior. But how do you identify the behavior? How do you locate a groomer in an online space? Right? Well, it started when I was when I, it started when I was young enough to be of interest to to, and and it was sadistic men that were that was the red rag to my bull. Okay, and it started when I was like sixteen. So I was the, I was the object of interest, and then I would do things like send chat scripts to the guy's wife or business. It was pretty vindictive at the beginning. And I, I had back then I had a, it was very compulsive. 
It's very compulsive. And I had a need for that. I, I really needed them to know that it's me who's brought you down. Like there had to be some big grand moment <laughs> of like, I am the, I am the one who has da, 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 da. And then it kind of over the years changed. Some of it was really mundane. Some of it was just like this compulsive, obsessive habit of staying up till four o'clock in the morning, just report, 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 stuff like that. Two men went to prison because of me. Um, both your fellow countrymen, which is a statement about nothing other than that you're from a big country. Um, and and then a lot of the time what I was doing, it wouldn't land, if you know what I mean by that. Like it didn't, I screwed it up in some way. Mm-hmm. Um which led me to become kind of quite a paranoid private person, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyways, well, yeah. you're engaged in war. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I never had, I never had a, con- it was never conscious because it is like it developed out of being groomed. And then this, this fury that I don't have words to describe the depth of at the groomer. And but he was gone. So then, like, where does this fury go? And it went, and it went, and it went, and it went. Hmm. Um, and now they're just open about it. Now they're just like, hey, you know, it's really common to have, you can see this on Reddit, you don't even need an account. It's really common to have um, genital dysphoria. It's a condition, it probably means you're trans. You shouldn't feel bad about wanting to take a staple gun to your scrotum, but I'll watch just so you're safe. And I'm like, I see you, you're the same people 10 years ago, but now you can just say, oh, but you have gender dysphoria. And I'm helping you. And they're there. They're in plain sight. So these men who were so furtive and the older I got, the less I, like when I was young, I, you could argue I was kind of entrapping them, right? When I was 16 or 17. But obviously that didn't work into my 20s. Um, so it was really difficult to to get information. And they were really cagey these men they're usually quite intelligent and they were really cagey they were really like frightened and furtive and now it's just like they don't even bother hiding and i think one of the reasons i want to talk about this is because there's a lot of naivety these people like i've spoken to people where there's some glitter family there's some older influence older male influence and i'm like okay what's the nature of that is it sexual and the parents like i don't know and i'm kind of thinking oh really because i feel like i do i feel like i know and i feel like an awful lot of this is a whole bunch more sexual and specifically sadomasochistic and i i say that from a position of somebody who was groomed, who was a very traumatized child and was groomed, and then came into contact with many hundreds of men like this. Not face-to-face, never face-to-face contact, but mm. um, 
you know, never in person contact. So what's I know your, what I'm talking about. What's your non-spotty count? What's my what? Non-spotty count. I, I was trying to use the British term. <laughs> I thought you said nonce. I thought you said non-spot account. <laughs> um, out damn spot. Oh, I don't know. That's the thing because the, because the thing is, Benjamin. I was I was I was alone. I was chaotic. I was yeah. impulsive. Yeah. I was uh, disorganized. Um, I wasn't like engaged in some operation where there was like a spreadsheet. Like I'm gonna. And then the other thing is that when they got away, if I went for somebody like, like a like a bad like I went for the bad guys, and you go into some dark places. Like I went for, like one guy I went for was a necrophile. I went for like another guy who had a thing about trying to talk young men, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, whatever, into fetishizing limb removal. Like these are nasty people. And when I went for somebody and it didn't, it didn't land, whatever it is I did, like at the beginning, it would have been more like humiliating them in some childish way. And then towards the end, it was more, it was more like, okay, I'm going to give this information to your local police department. I did a lot of that. Um, If it didn't land, I would just fall into like a six to eight month deep, deep depression. Hmm. deep deep depression Hmm. like so that happened three times so how did you get out of that cycle of behavior well it kind of just fell away it turned into this very mundane like click and report click and report click and report stuff Hmm. Because I realized I can't keep doing this to myself I can't keep I can't wake up and the first thing is like person he's still he's still out do you know it's it's not healthy um i can't say i regret what i did um because two men went to prison one of them by the way for assault and battery of a child in his home um and among other charges um so i can't i can't possibly in all good conscience say i regret it but i it's not the right thing to do and hmm. um So I, and and it just led me to have half a life so much of the time, you know? Um, And I don't even know what we're going to do. This is where I get a bit black-pilled because it's like, I, I just genuinely don't know what parents are supposed to do. Maybe it's just as simple as you can't have the internet until you're 18. I mean, I honestly, I really mean that. I, I don't know because now it's like they're everywhere. They are everywhere, these men. You know, it's supposedly one to 2% of the population of the male population are pedophiles. So I'm using that in the broad sense to include hebophiles. Um, so you think, okay, well, how many men are there and how many adult men are there on the planet? It's got to be three billion, three and a bit billion. How many of them have internet connections? I don't know, half. So then you get to like, what, 15, 30 million pedophiles with internet connections. And you and I know 
that the dumbest 50 year old can pull off pretending to be 15 and the smartest 15 year old can't tell somebody's somebody who's trying to do that um and all of these kids now have been told well you know yourself you know what's in your own best no you don't you have no idea what's in your best interest because i started down this path at a very young age and Like I say, I can't say I regret it because it, it is what it is, but it's not good to be in that kind of company. And all of these young people who are hanging around in these in these affirming spaces and talking about these radical changes to their bodies, they don't know. They don't know who's getting off on that is the really simple way to put it. They don't know what they're, they're turning themselves and they're objectifying themselves. Um, that's before you even look at some of the other stuff, which is going on into the guys, which I would know a bit less about like prostitution. You know, there's, there's, I think it's emerging that a lot of these, of the young gay men who transition, there's, there's a, there's a component there of prostitution or certainly like, wobbly financial relationships which are going to make it very very difficult for you to have faith that the person you're with has your best interests at heart um so it kind of it comes back to you know you said what's the role of men i'd I'd like to think part of the role of men is 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 pointing at male sexual deviant behavior and and at the very least saying that's what that is, whether it's in that school in Brampton, Ontario, or whether it's online and and not falling for this, this, um, you know, just this kind of rainbow washing um, and calling out other men who do and say, no, 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 you're a man, you know what that is. You know what that is. You know that if you're if you're a man in your forties and you're talking to a thirteen year old girl who's not your relative about sex, and you're not a doctor, there's no you know there's so few contexts where that's okay, and there are even fewer where that's okay, and the parent shouldn't be there, and we should just be saying it. We should just be saying it. You know. I I am obsessed with Libs of TikTok. I think what Libs of TikTok is doing is incredible, brilliant. And I wish there were a Libs of TikTok for, I mean, it would probably be instantly deleted, but like for the grooming, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't even... Probably somebody's tried that and it's just been instantly like, because yeah. they, they'll just say, oh, well, that's adult. And it's like, uh-huh. yeah, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. I think Matt Christensen, he's another YouTube uh, creator. He did a show, or in his live stream, he showed that uh, the dude up in uh, Canada with the enormous knockers, uh, fake silicone ones. And his, the, the story got deleted as uh, being sexual. Um, uh, sexually explicit, <laughs> and it's like, well, that—that's the point. So Matt went full. Uh, You're calling this transphobic on Twitter against YouTube, but it, it, the ratchet swings in one direction, and and the I don't know. It's frustrating because the the biggest tyrants, the biggest 
fascists on the platform or uh, these mm -hmm. activists who, who have transitioned and then get everybody else kicked off. Um, and if you even engage with them, um, they'll get you kicked off. They, they have an enormous amount of power. There's no symmetry at all in this war. No, there's no symmetry, but I'll tell you what there is. Like now suddenly I'm Mr. Whitehill. Um, <laughs> there's, there, are, there are honest people in police departments because a lot of what I would do towards the end, I would phone a detective. I'd be like, I would, I would find a local detective who was on a on a child exploitation team, and I would phone them, and I would say, "Hi, here I am. My name's Alastair. I've come across this, this, this. Can I email this to you?" And they're they're nearly all honest people, and they're not captured. They um they won't go. Oh, I don't know. It's about trans. If they'll be like, "Oh, this 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 adult is trying to encourage this minor to self harm." Okay, thanks very much for telling us. This looks like something we would definitely be interested in. Thanks very much. <laughs> so. You know, now I again, I don't want to recommend people do that because I don't want to. Ultimately, people who are who are confronted with this kind of behaviour should have access to like, should have access to a psychologist, should have access to support. I'm, I'm, I'm vigilantism is wrong. It's wrong for yourself. Um, so I wouldn't want to encourage anyone to do anything like that but i'm i'm merely making the point that it's like all is not lost there are there are lots of ordinary people and some of those will be in schools as well and they'll be in social services departments and they'll be in hospitals and whatever where if you just kind of explain what's going on they will see it it's it's not it's it's not all been taken over by the blue-haired people yet hmm. you know hmm. There was this, uh, did you get kicked off Twitter? You're, you're not on that platform no more. There was this I know, no. video I circulating. Uh, two dads confronted a man in a dress that was going to pick up one of their 13-year-olds and kiss her. And they have this extended conversation where the guy in the dress who is just, he's just, what are you going to do about it? Like, what's wrong with that? You know, I, I, I wouldn't force her to have sex with me. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And he was just so chill about it, right? And there is no, how, how do we say it? Wood chipper option, right? There's no longer <laughs> that. That's brave. I hope YouTube lets that through. Um, well, um, well, you wonder because at some point somebody might snap if that kind of behavior is normalized. I mean, if that go is that's going on across societies and people are hearing more and more about that and then it happens to to them, who knows? Um, somebody will snap someday. Um, yeah, the, well, and there's a really important point here, which is we need to deal with this now because the more time goes on, and I think, to be honest, I think in America, I, I think it's too late uh, for gay people because the, one of the things that sort of got me interested in this is like, I've said this to you before, we're going to be blamed because LGBT is everywhere. LGBT, LGBT, LGBT. And people will just go, okay, yeah, you're the people, you're the reason, you're the reason my niece doesn't have breasts anymore. And I kind of felt like there's not much time to stop that. And I now genuinely wonder, is it too late? I don't know, but I think there's going to be a backlash led by politicians who, and they will say LGBT, they won't say gender, they won't say queer, they won't say grooming, they won't pick up on the nuance. They'll just go for that term. In 
America. I think it'll be different in, in Britain and Ireland. But I think there's going to be, I think it's, it's difficult to see a way around this without a huge backlash. Hmm. I think. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if there isn't a huge backlash, it'll partly be your doing. Do you know what I mean? Because it's you, it's it's about holding the line and and not just doing the ratchet in the other direction and going like you know, which yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 difficult to see where America goes, which I never expected to say and it makes me very sad to say that um it's kind of extraordinary what's happened with the with the death of elizabeth ii that and then there was the those those couple of comments one from a law professor both american women you know like i hope it hurt that stuff and you could feel it. You could feel all of the Republican in the British sense, so non-monarchist, centrist, reasonable people whose, whose viewpoint would have been, I really like the Queen. I do think there should probably be a debate when, when she dies, because frankly, I'm not massively on board with monarchism. And you could feel it. You could feel them. Like over there, there's the horsey-faced aristocrats. And over there, there's the screeching blue-haired American social justice people. And you could feel people going, I'll oh, just go stand near the horsey-faced aristocrats because the, because the, the American left is now so toxic that it's destroyed British republicanism, which would historically be seen as left-wing. It would be historically seen as left-wing to be a Republican in Britain. And now... There's no, there's no energy. There's no creative energy behind republicanism in Britain. That the, their campaign message was hashtag not my king. That's disastrous. Like they should have said hashtag can't top this with a picture of Queen Elizabeth or hashtag end on a high note. That would be any good branding agency would have told mm. them. No, you need to be positive about this very well loved woman. And there's no creative energy in republicanism at all because it just, it's too near the American, North American left. And it just, you can feel people just go and move away. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, it's, I never expected that. Constitutional monarchism with uh, some sort of uh, tied together with the church. I mean, that's what you're looking at. Yeah, well, the, yeah, and and I I would I would be somebody who's a big fan of the Queen, and I would also be somebody who's a big fan of having a conversation about lots of different ways that you can have a government of a country. It's not just that you're America or you're Britain, and we've lost the opportunity to talk about that because it just can't because the left destroys everything. <laughs> <laughs> So he's just like, I can't even be bothered. Fine. Yeah. God save the king. Fine. Great. Well, as long as the king isn't in the pocket of uh, Davos, the WEF, the globalists. Right. Right, Because that could never happen. (laughs) Don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's more to it than that. I think there's also an outwelling of, 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 
support for somebody whose mum has just died and so it's yeah. it's not just political stuff right there's more to it than that yeah um, yeah but hmm. there's there's definitely something in that now that, that you can feel and when you watch the kind of the, the british left like the young british kind of corbynite left now softly they're starting to try and just triangulate a little bit away from what's going on in North America. They're kind of trying to talk about different cultural contexts and stuff so that just so they can get out of it, so they can get out of the, the trenches. Yeah. The circular firing squad. Purity spiral. The circular trench. Yeah. It's just a circular trench and people, Pushed them over the top, and there's just a mound of bodies in the middle. Yeah, and people just kind of you, you can you can you can see that you can see that happening. Um, so yeah, yeah, and it's it's also, I mean, I think it's also interesting who our new prime minister is, because that's that's relevant to the gender stuff. Who is it? She's called Liz Truss, and she's basically gender critical. Basically, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means yet. Does that? Do, she's got interesting amounts of power over there. They can hire and fire anybody that they want, right? The prime minister has a lot of executive authority over personnel and other parliamentary members, or something like that. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know about within the civil service, but in terms of her cabinet, yeah. But obviously you can only do so much with that because you start to look unstable if you're hiring and firing and hiring and firing the whole time, right? You don't want to look like, the, who was that guy, Scaramucci? Like, you don't want to look like it's kind of revolving door. Um, but I think... If there's if nobody wants to say it out loud, but th- with with the stuff around medicalization and gender, there is a feeling that in the UK it's all over by the shooting. We're just kind of waiting for, you know, the legislation to kind of start to come in. And um, it's an interesting state. Um, I have an interview with Susan and Marcus Evans dropping soon. We don't get into it too much, but the Tavistock closing isn't really the Tavistock closing. It's just that gender aspect of it is going to be put somewhere else. There's already a, like a five, six, ten year waiting list uh, to be seen. Uh, you know, and then there's the youth and then the adult services, and there's no plan in place for it to be established somewhere else. Um, so, and that takes a long time to put in place. So it's kind of this weird game of stalling it out. It looks like they could be playing or it could just be total bureaucratic incompetence, which I wouldn't put it past bureaucracies to be totally incompetent. And it could also be option one masquerading as option two. Um, and this country, which I sit in now, despite the fact I'm not Irish, I'm in Ireland is very, has, has adopted a pretty, well, I don't know people might take an issue with this, but there is a feeling that the Irish view is, yeah, we're just, we're so on board with this. Oh, what a pity that it's a 17-year waiting list. Well, gee and shucks. And, hmm. you know, and actually 
behind the scenes, people are saying, just stall, 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 mm. because medicalization of young people, it happens in this country, but it's it's very, 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 very sluggish. Um, so I don't know what the plan is with the, with the JIDs. Certainly part of the cast review, which is what led to the breakup of, of the JID or to the closing down of the JIDs, part of the cast review is to say, listen, you don't get to do medicine in a silo in a fiefdom anymore you don't get to do that you have to talk to the the eating disordered people and you actually have to talk to them uh you can't just say oh that's got nothing to do with gender no and ditto with all of the stuff around neurodivergence whatever that might mean and so getting rid of the siloed healthcare is a big hmm. It's a big thing, particularly because healthcare is very centralized in the UK. Mm-hmm. I heard stories about um, the uh, leaders or the heads of JIDs, and it sounds like something that Graham Linehan should have been doing a, a sitcom about, because they're all a bunch of these eccentric people who uh, kind of rule by this passive-aggressive authority where... It's really difficult to work with them if you're not on board. That would be amazing if you did that at some point. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, I do think... It's certainly developed in a very abnormal way within the UK healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things about the American system is it's probably a lot easier to run something as a kind of fiefdom, right? Because it's a private... So you can just say, well, listen, if you don't like it, you don't have to come. Uh, which is, you know, legitimate as as a piece of logic. Um, hmm. But I'm also, you know, there's more to life than the UK and the US health system. So I don't have health insurance. Do you want to know how much I've just paid for everything we've just discussed, including five days in acute cardiac care, abdominal surgery, four days of recovery from that, stoma care because i have a stoma so all of the materials to for the stoma um sprays and bags and belts and dodge, 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 dodge. Uh, doctor's appointments the whole thing right no health insurance and ireland does not have an nhs about 1200 uh 1200 million dollars 1200 euros oh yeah that's staggering yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I think British people talk themselves into thinking, well, it's like, well, you either have the NHS or you live in America, where you will be. Uh, mm. And Americans talk themselves into like, well, you either have the American system or you have the NHS, where you will be, you have to wait like 517 years for a hip replacement. And actually, there's like, there's so many healthcare models in the healthcare I've received, with the exception of one known issue, which is a department which is in chaos and, and is known to be in chaos in this country. Mm-hmm. It, uh, other than that, is uh, it's been incredible. It's been so good. Mm-hmm. And I the- tell America, you know, and, and they're like, how much is this costing you? And I'm like, 1,200, 1200 euros so far. Like, you know? And it must be very scary for people who... Now, I, I know a lot of Americans would say, yeah, but Americans have health insurance. But I think if you didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know, it must be scary. There's a lot of moving parts. And, uh, and there's a lot of economic 
differences between my country and your country. Um, and I guess, uh, we're gonna. Yeah. And there's also another argument, which is a lot of the research is done in America and a lot of that research is paid for by your insurance premiums and not by us overseas, but we benefit from mm. some of that. So mm. it's not necessarily fair towards you to pretend like you just have this rapacious oligarchical system, which for some reason you can't get rid of. I think mm. it's more complicated. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. While still being a, not the most efficient system ever to be founded. So I'll tell you something which I found kind of bittersweet, which is, so <clears throat> the care I received was amazing with the exception of one place, which I'm going to name, I'm happy to name, because it's a matter of public record, and this is an ongoing thing, which is Limerick ER. So the ER in Limerick. The ER in Limerick is known to have been, it's, it's a massive problem. I didn't know this because it's its not actually that close. They closed down our local hospital. They, they turned it into a, a, a cottage hospital, like a, just a day treatment centre. And so Limerick functions as the kind of regional hub for the whole west of Ireland, basically like a large part of the west of Ireland. So Limerick Hospital is known for having a, a really catastrophic emergency department it's really catastrophic because there are too many people coming in from too many places because they closed down too many regional hospitals so i went in and this was the only bad part of my care they told me i would have to wait on a trolley at the edge of a corridor for five nights before i would be seen yeah five nights so, five nights okay but it's just 50 cents a night to sleep on this gurney right it's the worst, it's it's the only bad aspect of the care I received, but it's known to be, this is huge, it's been in the, I didn't know this because I don't live in Limerick, but it's been in the local papers, there have been various politicians involved, blah, blah, blah. But here's the kicker, right? I didn't know I had uh, cancer, but what I did know is all I wanted to do was take my underwear off because I was incredibly distended. Mm. And at this point, I'd been in for 48 hours, so I probably wasn't smelling too pretty. And I was on the edge of the corridor, and there were 15 people there, including all ages, both sexes. And we were so closely stacked that my feet were all... Now, I'm a very tall man, I'm 6'5", but my feet were almost touching the guy in front of me because they, they just sardined you in. So I couldn't take my I couldn't take my underwear off because there were women. There were elderly, there were two elderly women. And like I had this little thin sheet and I'd been sedated. So it's like, so I'll go to sleep and then I'll roll over and everyone will see. I'm not gonna take my underwear off in a space where there are women. I'm not I mean, if they're healthcare professionals, fine, but not just random civilians. And then it kind of occurred to me like where are you, feminist Twitter? Because every day in Limerick, emergency room, that happens every day. This And this is a known problem going back, I think I'm correct in saying five years, I didn't know about it. Every day there are elderly women. There was a drug, there was a drug dealer who was, I don't know, 35 or whatever. He was actually really funny because uh, he was trying to get morphine out of the doctors and he was so hammy. He was kind of like... He was like, ah, the boring pain of it. I just need the morphine. Just give me the morphine. Give me the morphine. And then as soon as the doctor left, he was going through the little 
drawers, like in the lost property thing, looking for more things. But it's like, and then, and then like 20 meters away, there's like a, a, a woman who's in her seventies. And then there's me in between the two thinking, all I want to do is take my underwear off. Now, if I had sent out a tweet from an anonymous account saying, I'm in uh, Limerick General Hospital and there's a trans woman on a female ward, they would have been there like that. Hmm. It would have been outside Limerick General Hospital saying, this is disgusting. Women have a right to a sex-segregated space, which I agree with. Women have a right to a sex-segregated space. I don't think that male-to-female transsexuals should be in female wards. I I don't have an easy answer, but that's what I think. Um, So it just kind of gave me some perspective, having spent all that time in the gender debate and and, and it's so fraught and stuff. And then you're like, holy cow, every day there are women sharing space, not just women, but elderly women sharing a space with not just men, but young, fit, often jonesing Mm. men. Mm. And a small space, like that corridor was two meters wide, if that. 48 Um, hours, though, that's insane. Well, I escaped. I was supposed to stay five days, and I phoned my doctor, and I said, I can't do this. And my doctor said, my medical advice to you is to stay, and my human advice to you is get the F out, because you just need to. So I just stayed for long enough to have a CAT scan, Mm. and then I, I left. I just left. But it's a no... It's a known problem with in this country. It's just that one department. And I, I'm, I feel kind of obliged to say literally every single person that I've met from nurses to oncologists to consultants to doctors to surgeons to people bringing tea and toast have all been just amazing. It's, it's a structural problem. Mm-hmm. And the chief executive officer of Limerick General Hospital, Colette Gowan, needs to sort that out. Yeah. But the rest of the care has been incredible. Yeah. But it, it really, it, it was funny. It just gave me perspective on that whole male-female thing that you, you do think. We, we're all in our echo chambers and people get so up. And they're right. They're right about the invasion of women's spaces by people who, who by males who have transitioned. But it's like, there's a world out there of stuff going on that pertains to protecting women. Mm-hmm. And it's not all about trans women. <laughs> it's not all about trans. That's a very, very simple mechanical issue to do with bed management, which has just been going on and on and on and on and on for years because of one person's intransigence, basically. Uh, the the Limerick ER, the Limerick ER, yeah. I can't do it right now, but I I want to do it. There once was a gurney in Limerick. <laughs> You're not going to try it. Oh no! <laughs> Make Limerick. You had 48 hours. You didn't come up with a single. I was drugged. Well, then the other thing that's an excuse. Kid. That's not a, poetry. Was. Like, the other thing about Limerick ER is because of a bunch of factors 
socio social factors and socioeconomic factors it's like it's the it's it's some of the poorest people in Ireland and it's some of the most disenfranchised people in Ireland huge levels of alcoholism so basically if you go to Limerick yeah they kind of treat you as an alcoholic until proven otherwise mm. <laughs> that's the, and in fairness if I were in their position I would probably be doing the same because probably about 60% of the people they see are there with maybe not alcohol but some kind of alcohol and drug thing so once you get through that and you get to see a consultant you're flying hmm. 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 talking about gatekeeping yeah it's a massive it's a, it's a massive problem um, yeah it's a bottleneck and it's also because of people like you know that guy i said where well, i kind of wanted to offer to wheel him out of the window where because it's he Again, I don't want to say anything that would that would identify him, but he had been in that ward. So that was when I was on the ward. That was when I got out of the ER and I was on the ward. He'd been in that bed for half a year. Oh, jeez. Okay. And he needs to be in care in the community. He needs to be in care in the community. He needs to be in a nursing home. Yeah. Um. And it kind of, you know, and it's like, so how many how many people are there down on that? men and women down on that corridor who are stuck on that corridor because of people. I mean, the term they use, it's not a nice term, but it's an accurate term is bed blocking. It's, it's elderly people who just don't want to go home, hmm. you know, hmm. Hmm. which I get because it's scary. You know? So you said that you're avoiding stress, um, but you decided to speak yeah. with me. So I, let's check in with your stress level. Are you, uh, has this been a good time for you? Or are you, uh, oh, yeah. you hydrated yeah. and chill? Is your resting yeah. heart rate at a reasonable? I don't know. My phone refuses to, apparently if I put my finger on the back of my phone, it should measure my heart rate, but it refuses. Um, no, I'm grand. I'm not. I, I don't think. What happened to me was that the chemotherapy, it didn't give me a heart attack. I probably would have had a heart attack in like 15 years or whatever, but mm. it was the chemotherapy. So I'm not at a risk of a heart attack for like, you can shout boo or whatever, and I'm not going to heal. So it's not that kind of situation. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's more it's more life limiting in the sense that it narrows the range, potentially narrows the range of treatments available to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but other, other than guest appearances such as this, what are your plans looking forward uh, with regard to being public and speaking more about this? There's only so much we can cover in a single episode, right? Right. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, if people want to, the people can email me if they want to talk to me. Um, I would like to talk about the grooming stuff, even though a lot of me doesn't want to, because it's kind of revisiting some stuff in my own past, but I, I kind of feel like I've made a decision. No, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say these things a bit more openly. Um, I don't know who wants to have that conversation, 
to be honest. And um, you're a very unique interviewer and you're a very good interviewer. And so I felt very safe talking to you. Um, but I mean, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know what my plans are. I don't know if I'm going to write. I don't know if I'm going to speak. I think I'm just going to take it, take it handy and see what, if anything, comes my way. Mm-hmm. Taking it handy with Angus Fox, nonce hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, there is a few surprises. Yeah, there was a few surprises in this conversation. <laughs> oh no! I, I, I was very, very. I almost wanted to say to you at the beginning, like I, I'm kind of aware that this could come across as totally mental and it could be like he's just lost his mind he's just making it up um but it all it all mm. makes sense just because i've spent so long mm. now mm. this year like as i say in bed thinking what am i going to do what do i want to do mm. and the thing that i did for so many years that was a secret life I mean, I was with a guy for seven years who still doesn't know uh, that I was doing that. And that was like at the peak, hmm. the peak. Um, hmm. I don't know who, I don't know who wants to talk about that or wants to hear about that, but I definitely know that there are people who need to, whether they can stomach it or not. Mm-hmm. I spoke because I knew I'd be talking to you, I contacted one of the mothers I know whose son was was like the worst example of grooming that I've come across with the trans stuff. Bad, 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 bad. And said to her, I know this is a painful question, but I'm going to ask anyway, what would you do differently? And she said, no internet. Just no internet. Just wouldn't have had the internet. And she said, even there, it's like you don't know because the friend can give them an internet ready device. Like, do you know what I mean? But that's the minimum I would have done. And I think having gone through, having been groomed myself, having sought that, sought that out at that very vulnerable age and kind of gone through the process of kind of forgiving myself for that. And then having gone into whatever it was I did all those years, um, I do worry that it's just too much and people just don't want to hear it. Parents just don't want to hear it. It's kind of like thinking about like fire insurance or thinking about like, mm. oh God, my child might have leukemia or something, you know, do, mm. is it too much? Is it just overload now? What we're asking parents to do? I don't know, but I also know that this situation is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was bad, but now it's like mind-blowingly bad. Um, so, so I hope there is somebody who wants to listen, and I hope there's somebody who has an idea of what to do. Yeah. Well, speaking of what to do, so beyond not internet, what about identification of behaviors? You said uh, sadistic behaviors and manipulative behaviors i mean uh, well, there's yeah, got to be a psychological profile that you've kind of come up with in your head 
Oh yeah, well usually, I mean, it would depend. It was a lot easier when I was when I started because I was I would have been about sixteen, and and, and uh, you are what they are looking for physically, so that kind of does itself. But then out of that, as I kind of went on, and that stopped working, and yet I still had the compulsive need to to do this. I suppose I realised most of them are narcissists and the way it's quite easy to deal with narcissists, you just tell them what they want to hear, right? And usually things flow from that. Mm. What caused me immense pain and depression and was, was, was the clever ones who I, who I couldn't get. who I could name for you Hmm. and who were a big part of why I chose to be anonymous because like, I really went for, I really went for people and they deserved it. I'm not going to mess around with that, but uh, from their perspective, like there's a, there's a, there's (laughs) there's a good few people out there who don't like me. And now I'm like, well, what are you going to do to me? Like, are you going to give me a tumor or are you going to give me a heart attack? Because I can take both. Like, bring it. You know, what are you going to do to me? I don't have... I don't have the same priorities. So whatever people might say, I don't know. Who cares? Well, yeah, so I guess there's justice, but that is draining there's also wisdom that you can impart um that other people can pick up the mantle or develop safeguards um or get a little bit more street smart on the internet with what's going on in these communities yeah but it's going to need something bigger than that isn't it hmm. it's going to need something a lot bigger than that we keep on going back from black pill to white pill to black pill to white pill. <laughs> well, I just hope it isn't something really, really awful. Like, I hope it doesn't involve, you know, some, I don't even want to say it out loud, but, you know, like some some horrible human tragedy is, is what it takes to actually deal with this. Mm. And those human tragedies are already, they're already happening. Um, it's just we're not really seeing them or only certain people are seeing them. Um. I, I think there needs to be a political movement which unapologetically puts parents' views front and centre, but that has the nous to do that in a non-extreme centrist way, which is like, you know, we have people who are, they might be gay, they might be straight but childless, who are allies, we join with them, blah, blah, blah. There just needs to be something which looks non-crazy, non-apocalyptic, but recognises there is a huge scale problem here. The tech companies, there are different viewpoints, can't, won't do anything about it, whichever it is, there are different viewpoints. I actually tend to think it's more of the can't than the won't, and people might not like that and might say I'm making excuses for them, but I just think the mechanics of, like, how do you even, I don't know, I don't know what tools they have at their disposal, but... (sighs) There's going to have to be if some kind of... they can fortify an election, though, they can probably... I'm just kidding, but... Um, if they can target political speech... Mm-hmm. 
I'm from a country where we have this terribly old-fashioned habit of voting on paper and counting it on the same night. And I have to say, I I do recommend it quite strongly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I tend to think there's going to have to be a, some kind of political movement which does a big reappraisal of this is the nature of the relationship between the parent and the child. This is the proper place of the teacher. This is the proper place of the external adult and which is prepared to look at somebody who says oh, i'm your glitter mom if your parents don't accept your non-binary i will and just be honest and say grimmer that's sexual that's sexual because you're talking to a child about sex that's sexual you you know I'm not saying that person should be physically threatened, but then the, 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 the onus is on them to explain. Why are you talking to a strange child about sex? Why are you doing that? I wouldn't talk to my partner's nieces or nephews about sex without talking to the um, their parents first, his, his, his brother and his sister-in-law. I would absolutely go to them and say, listen, I mean, I don't even know what context I would want to, but you know what I mean? Um... I don't know who the person is to do that, um, but I think it's going to have to be broad. And I think, yeah, maybe it slips to TikTok. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed. I think if I was straight, I'd probably. I think what she's doing is incredible. I think it's. I think it's incredible what she's doing. Hmm. I think this. If there's one person who could turn this whole thing around in America, it's slips to TikTok. Not if Taylor Lorenz takes her down. But I mean, Reddit banned groomer as a slur, right? So Reddit has gone on record. It's amazing how captured these places are. They they go on, they side with the people who are siding with the people who are the groomers, like in a narrow sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, and you can't do anything about it because, like, one logical thing to do would be a libs of TikTok, but for grooming, where you would just screenshot and just put it up there, but it will go. It will, I can tell you, there's there's no point doing it. It will go. Um, There's like a, a small, I think, TikTok trend where uh, kids are like confronting pedophiles and filming the whole thing. Yeah. But, that's dangerous. Yeah. That's really dangerous. Super dangerous. I, I never consciously put in place any structures, but just because of the way it worked, what I was, because, because I was groomed and then because I had such anger against the person who groomed me that I went out to find similar people. So that was, that was kind of narrow, narrow right so i never put myself in a position where i might see any kind of image any kind of indecent image and i never put myself in a position where i might meet somebody in person hmm. i it's what kind of a society are we where we're letting kids do that as a crusade like jesus you know i, I don't it shouldn't be up to like kids that. to do that it's ballsy but it is ballsy, and uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna criticize them. But it's, you know, it's not exactly like if you were designing your your society from scratch, you wouldn't exactly come up with that as a solution to this to this problem. What you would come up with is some kind of way of finding these men and protecting society from these men, and then yeah, maybe helping them if they can be helped. I'm slightly less bothered, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I guess I think we should wrap it up. 
the recording section uh, at this point in time. Um, is there anything to to end on? What should we end on? What what does your hat symbolize? Is that a football team? No, it's just it's just Oakley. I have a very very large head, okay. and Oakley are the only people who make baseball caps that fit large headed okay. people. All right, cool. <laughs> Pure practical. So, Six different Oakley hats because I figured I got so bored of trying on baseball caps and then just <laughs> sitting on top of my head like a tiny little tiara. Like, <laughs> it was very nice to talk to you and thank you for. I, I, <clears throat> I know there was a lot in that. So, yeah. Man, alive. I hope I didn't upset you. No, oh, no, I, I need to be upset and catch it on camera. It, it, it's good for the clicks, right? You know, just like selling my soul, right? <laughs> well, Performing there is empathy. About, there's something about being having an authentic reaction, isn't there? That's yeah. heavy stuff, though. Huh? It's heavy stuff, and thank you for sharing. I think um, it's one of the core aspects to humanity, uh, our mortality, that um, it's very difficult um, to... To, to look at and uh, to witness, um, but it, it's just as uh, uh, built into what we are as sex and birth and puberty and all the other aspects of it. Um, well, and it might, you know, yeah, it might help some people um, and it might help me as well, um, you know, because there's a lot for me to process. But yeah. you've done surprisingly well i'm 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 very 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 well supported i'm very lucky you know mm. i've got friends i've got good friends i've got a wonderful partner i've got a good family yeah stella I've got stella stella's been an angel she's been i only saw her yesterday and she's been kind of you know like taking me out to lunch and yeah um and it's kind of the opposite, because like, you know, I said, like some people go weird and she's the opposite. She's not at all weird. She's completely able to have really open conversations about it, which is really useful because you need to process things <clears throat> and you can't process something if somebody's crying for you. Like, Shut up. <laughs> you need to stop crying for me. Like, go and do that elsewhere. I need to have a thing here. Um, whereas she wouldn't be like that at all. No. She's probably got like this tiny little closet where she goes to weep whenever she needs to. It's well insulated. Well, she she's a very extraordinary person, and I think in many ways, I, I do think that the success of what she's done is it, it's it's bound up with uh, with her personality, and you know that's true of lots of different people actually. In, in this area that there's not terribly normal people, but but really phenomenally capable. Some of the people I've met in the last two years is just like, wow, you're kind of mind-blowing people. Um, hmm. So, so yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to have me back on, I'm, I'm not doing much. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, even though like this is a three hour conversation, I think there's a lot of avenues to 
to to explore and to concentrate on and um and to check in and plus your great company um uh, who we, we did a oh with claire claire graham and you claire, claire. We, we we triangle well, people there there's claire and there's i'd love to I, I haven't spoken to claire for ages and Sinead and Richie are both doing quite a lot of video. And I know Richie pretty well. I know oh, Sinead really? Pretty well. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know um, Corinna very well. Yeah. Corinna's Corinna a doll. and I, yeah. 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 Sorry? Corinna's a doll. A lovely person. Yes. Yeah. We have, um, we have very interesting. When we disagree, we really disagree. Huh. We really disagree when we disagree. We're kind of in a, I don't know. <laughs> ongoing disputes about various various things um but yeah yeah a lovely person so i don't know i'm kind of almost becoming like honorary transy d transy kind of like, do you know what i mean like, what do you mean by that honorary d trans or something like I, I seem to fit into that character group almost huh yeah who knows what that's about well, um, maybe on the 29th or the 30th, if you're free, you can join me and Richie uh, and Sinead. That'd be lovely. We're setting up a... 29th or the 30th of September. Yeah, end of the month. I'll check in with that, you. We can... That's the day before, that's the day before Freedom Day. Oh, that's no. What Freedom happens on Freedom Day? Day I guess... On Freedom Day, I can eat spicy food, sugary food, rich food. I can drink booze. I can drive. I can orgasm, and I can do exercise. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> I thought it was national holiday, but it's just a, a glorious. And I'm going to do them all at once. Event of all going to be done at the same time. I'm going to be in the car. Oh no! Fried, fried food, some coffee, oh, lifting some weights. <laughs> Don't say it. Don't say it. Okay, it's all implied. It's all implied. Angus Fox. Well, do I have to stop calling you Angus Fox now? Do we? Do you have no, like you new, new, you new pronouns for you and your new identity of a? Oh, you know what? Angus could be my pronoun. Yeah, Angus Angus. I don't know. Angai Angus. <laughs> well, presumably, yeah. No, I'd have to think about that. He him or just Ang and Gus. <laughs> let's not no no let's not you have to throw that pronoun okay. joke in, in there anyways well thank you friend um for the conversation um thank you. And, the, and the recording now okay yeah, i can stop it there and see what happens uh, i spilled 